Yes, good morning. How are we doing? I know you're doing good because I couldn't get you to stop talking just now. Uh, so it is an integral part of our church having that greeting time together. And uh, it is a, a great morning for us as we celebrate five years uh, as a church. Redemption Hill Bible Church this week's always a more emotional week for me because I go back and I look through all the, the pictures from five and six years ago when we first uh, started this journey together. And I'm so thankful uh, for where the Lord has brought us and what he has done. And, and I do need to say uh, thank you to uh, my wife, Erin. Uh, she, yeah, you got an awe for that. <laughs> you deserve so much more than an awe, but we'll, we'll, we'll take the awe. Um, she is so strong. I've told you this before. We're at church planning training, and the head guy comes up to me, and he goes, hey, you'll, you'll do an okay job planning a church. Your wife will do a great job planting a church. I thought to myself, thanks for the encouragement. Uh, she has. She's so strong and, and so wonderful, and, and for our kids as well. And, and, uh, but really, all of this is a team effort. Um, I'm not the church. Uh, I didn't build the church. Uh, Christ is the head of the church. He built the church, and he put a team together um, around us that has only grown And with, with Dave and, and Joel. I'm so thankful for them. Joel, uh, after the first Sunday, just one story, after the first Sunday, the guy who led worship on that Sunday, our lunch Sunday, on Monday, I had to, I had to tell him that he needed to go home and be done leading worship. And so we didn't have, after the launch Sunday, we didn't have a worship guy for the next Sunday. And I just stood up on launch Sunday and said, we will be here every Sunday doing what we just did. And uh, called Joel Gallion. I said, Joel, um, you're hired as the new worship pastor. And uh, so since then, Joel has taken that on. And week after week, Dave has been an encouragement to me. We've eaten a lot of Red Robin French fries together, Dave and I, and uh, prayed together and so thankful for him. And then Jonah came in, as, as you guys heard during COVID. Uh, who hires in the middle of COVID? Uh, we did, and uh, we were so thankful we did. We had eight boys and two girls in our high, junior high and high school ministry at that time. And Jonah came in at a special time in our own family's life and brought life and energy to us and to our church. And um, super thankful for him and, and coming in the work that he's done. And many of you are thankful for him as well. And then, and now just uh, recently, the addition of Pastor Shea and Bethany. And uh, the Lord keeps growing our church as a staff. But I also want you to know this, and, and Matt alluded to this already this morning, is uh, we probably have a church of maybe 300 people, and we have over 100 of you, over 100 of you serve each month. That is an incredible statistic, um, and the fact that you guys pour back into the church. In fact, I was just told this morning, uh, Sherry Parsons comes to me and goes, I don't like coming to church and having nothing to do, <laughs> and that's the attitude of our church. You don't want to come here and do nothing. You want to do something on Sunday morning, and that's the heartbeat of, of who we are, is we understand this. We're, we're not a church of consumers. We stiff arm that. You can find that at a lot of places, but that's not this church. When you come here, you go to work right away, and you serve right away. And uh, at first, it was because out of necessity, um, we needed people to serve, and, and now it's because it's become the heartbeat of what we are and who we are. And um, I stand up here this morning just super thankful 
uh, a man who does not deserve to be in this pulpit, and I feel every week like I am not adequate for the position. And so what I do all week is I just pray like crazy uh, all week that the Lord would fill me with His Spirit and that I would be able in some way communicate some, some measure of truth to you guys from His Word. And uh, I stand in awe of what God has done through this church. One more thing I need to say, and that is to Bellevue Way Community Church, um, Pastor Marty and Jennifer, thank you for coming this morning. Um, you guys passed a baton to us, and it was bloody, um, and it has lots of scars on it, and you have entrusted a building to us, and uh, we just want to make sure that we honor what you guys have done and uh, to continue that, and so we're thankful for, for this gift. Um, whether it's your first week here or you've been here since, since the first week, you are family, and we are a family, and we're so proud um, to call each other family and so thankful for that. And uh, here's what I need to say lastly. You're like, no, I know how this goes. I know how this goes. Uh, our best days are still in front of us, right? They're still in front of us. The Lord hasn't brought us together just, just to sit and be idle. The Lord has brought us together because he wants us to be a bright, shining light on the east side of Seattle and even into Seattle. There's so much work to do, and you guys know this, right? And so the job of the pastors and the elders here is to equip you for the work of the ministry. And so as we pour into you, you pour into your communities. And uh, so there's so much work to be done, and we're excited for what the Lord has for us in the next, next few years uh, together and, and beyond that. And, and we're just going to keep preaching truth. We're going to keep loving people, and we're going to keep seeing what God continues to do with our church together. So with that, open up to the book of Titus, the book of Titus. Um, we are going to do a quick overview of the book of Titus here together. Uh, you guys think you don't do anything quick when you preach, Joe, and you usually only preach about one or two verses. How are you going to get through an entire book? Well, I'm kind of like psyching myself, you know, a little, a little here. If I, if I go over the whole book, I'll get it all in. But if I was just to do one verse, I'd have to take the whole, the whole, the whole morning. Um, so, but I want to do this, and the reason why we turn to the book of Titus is because during the, the uh, 2020, two years into, uh, two and a half years into our church, we finished the Gospel of John, we started preaching through the book of Titus, and my heart was so open to what Titus has, had taught me personally. Um, no other book has fashioned my understanding of the church than the book of Titus. Uh, some of you came in the middle of uh, the teaching of the book of Titus. Some of you came towards the end of it. And I have fallen in love with this book uh, because what it has done is it has given us the blueprint for what a healthy church looks like. It lays the foundation. This is what a church is to look like. And we are right in the middle of, of two years into our church and reading through this and saying, hey, there's some things that we need to do as a church. Uh, we need to be more like what Titus, uh, uh, this letter that Paul wrote to Titus we need to be more like it. And so what I want to do is really just share my heart as we fly over at 30,000 feet above uh, the book here. Um, if you want, you can go back, and, and if there's a certain verse or a certain section that you want more uh, understanding in, I did preach through all of it. It took about seven or eight months to do so. Uh, but for this morning, I just want us to kind of go over the top and to pull out truths that were super important to me in my own life and to our church and what the blueprint is for a healthy church. And there's three points, and they come from three chapters here in the book of Titus. 
This letter here was written from the Apostle Paul to Titus. Titus was charged to go to this small island in the Mediterranean Sea. And he used to go to this island, and he used to work his way around the island to these home churches. And he would go into these home churches, and his job was to establish and strengthen the churches. And these were small churches. Maybe they were even churches, some think, that the Apostle Paul had planted maybe years before. And now he's sending Titus in to the job of strengthening them and establishing them. And the first thing that Titus says to him, and this will start working our way through this outline, the first thing that Paul says to Titus is this, when you get to those churches, as you work your way around those churches, the first thing that I want you to do is this, establish godly leadership in the church. Establish godly leadership in the church. Look at what it says in verse five. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. We know this, everything rises and falls with leadership. From the smallest group to the family, to the largest organization, to the CEO, to the president, to the the head of the household, everything rises and falls with leadership. And the responsibility in the church rests on godly men to lead. And he says this very first thing, this is why I left you. This is the first thing that you're supposed to do. You go into the church and you establish the leadership. Find godly men. Men who can set the example for the rest of the church on how to behave, on how to live, on how to carry out the gospel. This is the first thing that I need you to do. In fact, that word there, it says there to, to, uh, to put into order or to put what remained into order. It has the idea of uh, in, in, uh, uh, for your teeth, for dental work, for, for the dentist to come in and straighten out your teeth. And so what Titus was to do, he's to go into the church, and the way you straighten out things, the way you strengthen things, is you establish men in the church who will guide and lead the church because everything rises and falls on leadership. He doesn't say to him, go in immediately and start preaching through the Bible. He doesn't say, go in immediately and start weeding out all the people who are troublesome. He doesn't say go in there and establish for yourself a youth group and a kids ministry and Bible studies and do all these things that are in the church. No, the first thing he says is this, find godly examples in the church, put them in charge for the rest of the people to model their life after. Number one, he says this, verse six, if anyone is above reproach, he starts listing out the the characteristics then of the leadership in the church. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, he must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, (coughs) a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy. He must be disciplined. He must hold fast to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and be able to rebuke those who contradict it. Notice in here, church, notice what Titus is learning from Paul. He's learning this, that the church is not to be led by men of big and great personalities. 
The church is not to be led by those who are the biggest donors in the church. The church is to be led by men who are of character. That's the whole point. Men who can, with one skill, be able to teach. Men who understand that they are under shepherds of the great, of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And they're to go in, they're to protect the church, they're to provide for the church. And even in verse 10, all the way down to verse 16, it talks about the way he protects those who are teaching false doctrine. The elders are to go in and they're to silence these men. Literally means to put a muzzle on the mouths who are those who are teaching false doctrine. And so this is what the church needs. This is for the benefit of the church. Men who want to protect the church, provide for the church, feed the church. Because everything rises and falls with the leadership in the church. And this is for the church's benefit. It's for the church's spiritual good. As I said, it's the the role of the, the pastors and the elders of the church to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. To teach and equip. And so he tells them that, number one. Number two is this. You guys are like, wow, you got through a whole chapter in seven minutes. That is amazing. Number two is this. The blueprint of a healthy church is this. Teach sound doctrine and godly discipleship in the church. If you look back at the end of, of, of chapter one in verse 16, he's talking about those who profess to know God. Those who claim to know Christ. Those who, who say, hey, yeah, I know who God is, but then what? Look at verse 16. But then... They deny him by their works. These men, they're detestable. They're disobedient. They're unfit for any good work. And then look at chapter 2 and verse 1. What are the first two words there? But as for you, Paul is saying to Titus right here, but as for you, in sharp contrast to those who are dividing the church, in sharp contrast to those who have split up the church by their teaching, As for you, this is what you're to do. You are to teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is a call directly to the pastors in the church. You have a specific role that is the exact opposite of those who are splitting up the churches. Your job is to teach and feed the church healthy doctrine. That's your role. That's what you're supposed to do. That's your primary purpose. That's your primary role. Notice what it says there. It says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That word sound there, it has the word, it's the word for hygiene. The word for hygiene, for cleanliness, for purity. He's saying this, teach the purity of the gospel. Teach the truth. Don't skip over passages. Don't skip over books. Teach what comes next in the Bible. Give them a healthy portion. Feed them life-sustaining, soul-sustaining, soul-satisfying doctrine week after week after week. Don't give your people sermonettes for Christianettes. Give them something meaty. They can handle more. As a child, my, my mom's here, she'll give testimony to this story. 
uh, here, but this is the only story you get from my mom, okay? No more. We would eat dinner every night, and every night there would be a vegetable on our plate. Every night. It would be green most of the time. Some sort of vegetable, and we had to eat that vegetable every single night. We couldn't leave the table until that vegetable was eaten, and we didn't like it. Who likes vegetables when they're a kid? You're like, my child does. Maybe. I didn't. And we would eat it, and it would go down rough, and we would gag it down sometimes. We didn't know why we had to eat it, but we ate it. And we know this, that eating vegetables is better for us than a continual dose of sugary foods. The stuff that goes down easy, the stuff that's sweet, the stuff we would rather gravitate to. And it wasn't enough if we just ate it one time. And they're like, oh, I got it done. Now for the rest of my life, I don't need to do that anymore. No, we needed a continual dose of healthy food over and over and over, night after night after night. And we had to reject the sugary foods. This is exactly what is being said here. Teach them what accords the sound doctrine on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, whenever you have them, Titus. What I need you to do is give them a healthy dose of sound doctrine. Whether they understand why they get it or not, you still provide for them the best and healthiest food. And then over time, week after week, a dose of of healthy, pure, sound doctrine, over time, they will begin to understand why they need this every single week. And then they, re- they learn to reject the sugary, fluffy stuff. Give them the truth over and over and over again. Give them the gospel over and over and over again. Teach them grace over and over and over again. This is what the church needs more than anything else. Titus, you cannot neglect this one thing. Teach sound doctrine. Look at, the, look at verse 15, the end of chapter, he bookends it. Declare these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Declare it, preach it, announce it, reveal it, disclose it. Make God's truth clear. Exhort, meaning this, urge with them, plead with them, beg them. Help them understand the hard things because that's what's going to be most helpful to them. Rebuke them. Convince them, correct them, convict them, show them where they're wrong. Good preaching, good teaching will help the sinner see their sin so they know how to repent of it. And it says there in verse 15, it says this, declare these things, exhort and rebuke what? With all authority. Let no one disregard you. I remember when we taught through this, we were in in Titus chapter two and we were in the, the hotel ballroom. We were thankful for the hotel ballroom because it was dry and it was warm and we were allowed to meet there. And I remember preaching through this and and through this chapter specifically in this first verse in Titus 2 verse 1 together. And I remember just the self-reflection in my own teaching, thinking to myself, am I doing this? Am I doing this? 
because I don't want to miss this. I, I don't, I don't want to fail at this. I, I want to be the preacher that stands up and, and declares and rebukes and exhorts, and I do it with authority, not because this is something that I made up, but because this is what God's Word says. And I remember there's a moment in my mind where I said, I need to deepen the message. I need to give our people the hard stuff. Because that's what's best for them. People jokingly, I think, give me a hard time about how long it takes to, to preach to the Bible. But here's why. This is why. This, this is why I can't get through two verses on a Sunday morning because I don't want to give you fluff. I want you deeply to understand the things of the Lord. I want you to understand that verse in the context of which it is told. I want you to understand that verse in the book that it's written in. I want you to understand it in the Testament that it's given to in the New Testament. And I want you to understand it in the book of, uh, as a whole, that one passage. And if you can understand that, it's going to transform your heart. Not a silly illustration, but the word of God, and you're going to swallow it. It's going to be rough, maybe sometimes going down. But trust me, week after week of hearing that, it is going to refresh your soul. The last thing you want is this, is a TED Talk. You don't want a 10-minute TED Talk by some guy who come up with a great idea. And there, there's some good ones out there. But the authority comes from the word of God. And so we start with the word of God. We stay in the Word of God, and we don't leave the Word of God until we say amen. Because that's really what you're here for. You're not here for me. You're not here for anybody else who preaches in the pulpit. You're here for God. And that's what we want to give you each week. We want to declare these things with authority because it's from the Word of God. Notice this as well. Verse 2 of chapter 2, it's not only the preaching of God's word, but now you get into godly discipleship. It's not just about the preaching of the word, it's now about living life together. And three different couples this morning gave testimony to that, living life together. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith. And there's five groups here. There's the older men there. Then verse 3, there's the older women who are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves of too much wine. They're to teach what is good. What are they doing? They're training the younger women to do what? Love their husbands and children and be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity, dignity, sound in speech that cannot be condemned. Why? So the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about all of us. Then the fifth group is this, the bondservants, the workers, there to be submissive to their own masters in every way, there to be well-pleasing and not argumentative and not pilfering, but showing all good faith. And here's the, here's the reason for all of this. Here's why discipleship is important in the local church. At the end of verse 10, look what it says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. It is so that your life would be decorated with the characteristics of who Jesus Christ is. And so you have these groups of people in the church who are pouring into one another with the same purpose, the purity of your life. That you would look more like Jesus Christ. 
that you would adorn. The word there is the word for cosmetics, decorations like a Christmas tree. You, you decorate with ornaments and lights on the Christmas tree. We decorate, we adorn ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church family has a responsibility and a role in that. Older men, you are to train the younger men. Older women, you are to train the younger women. Younger women. Younger men, younger women, you're to go to these older men and say, pour your life into mine. I want Jesus Christ to be decorated on my life every day. That's the church family. I remember reading that and going, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. (laughs) One like that. I mean, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want a church like that? Who'd rather have a church where there's bickering and arguing? complaining. No, no, this is what we want. This is what we strive for. A couple uh, Wednesday nights, I, I remember uh, dropping off the, uh, my three boys here for, for youth group. And I got back in the car and I, I noticed there was about 50 cars in the parking lot on a Wednesday night. And I was like, what in the world is going on at our church right now? Something I don't know about? And I sat in the car, and I, I, I literally just took a moment. I, I, I was just so thankful of what was happening. This moment where I was, I was thinking about our youth being discipled by, by these, these workers who are taking their Wednesday night to pour into our youth group. And then there's 30-some women in a circle just right here studying the Bible together, pouring their lives into each other. And then I thought, I got to get home to go to bed because I got to come back, get to come back on Thursday morning where there's 25 more men together studying and encouraging one another around tables, around the word of God. And then I think, and on Thursday night, we've got ambassadors, our young adults meeting, our small groups meeting. On Sunday nights, we got a Revelation Bible study going. This is the outpouring of Titus 2 right here. This is the blueprint for a healthy church where we are learning to decorate ourselves, adorning ourselves with the characteristics of Jesus Christ because we believe this. Listen, church, this is what we believe. We believe that the purity of our lives, listen, the purity of our lives is the greatest evangelistic tool that we have. The greatest evangelistic tool that we have for our communities is the purity of your life. It's the most effective way to reach the lost. Is the purity of your life. Mark Dever says this, he says, Our greatest confirmation of the gospel is the community of the local church. Therefore, our best strategy for reaching the world is to fan that community into a raging inferno of supernatural witness that will be far more attractive than any adjustment to our music, small groups, or sermons could ever be. The most powerful tool we have to win the lost, listen, is your purity. So what do we do? We make sure that we disciple you to have the most pure lives that you can have so that you can have the greatest and most effective lives in the community. 
It's far more attractive than any adjustments to the music, the small groups or sermons that we could ever have. Now notice this, Titus takes us straight to what? Right after he says all that, what's the first place he goes? What do we need to make this happen? He goes straight to the grace of God. That's the foundation, the grace of God. It's the grace of God that will teach us. It's the grace of God that will show us how to say no to ungodliness. And we lean heavily upon the grace of God. The grace of God is at the center of the church. The grace of God is at the center of the Bible. The grace of God is at the center of Titus. And hopefully it'll be at the center of our church. As we rely upon the grace of God, not only for salvation, but we rely upon the grace of God for sanctification. And then thirdly is this. The third blueprint for the church is live out the gospel outside the church. So now he changes from inside the church, inside the church, godly men setting the example, equipping people for the work of the ministry, silencing those who are, who are teaching false doctrine. Everybody has a role. We all play a part. We all have this one of these, these places in a group. We all are in this. We, we're, we're, we're helping one another. We're sanctifying one another. We're purifying one another to adorn the gospel of God our Savior so that we can go out into the world and live for Christ. And he says this, remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient to every good work. And then he gives us then six things that he tells us to do. This is how you're to live in the world. Number one, be obedient. Number two, be ready to do good. Number three, speak evil of no one. Number four, avoid quarreling. Number five, be gentle. Number six, show courtesy to others. And listen, if you can do that, you will be a bright light in a shining world. Think about it. What does the world look like? Is the world obedient? No. The world is not obedient. Is the world ready to do good? No, it's not. It's selfish. The world is selfish. Is the world speaking evil of no one? No, they're speaking evil of everyone. Is the world and the culture avoiding quarreling? No, we quarrel all the time. Is the world gentle? No, it's not. Does the world show courtesy to others? No. This is what separates the Christian. The believer says, if I do these things, I will be a shining light to the world. I am different. I am set apart unto holiness. And so we live out the gospel in this way, reminding ourselves this, that we were once foolish, we were once disobedient, we were once led astray, we were once on that path. We were headed down that route. We were the ones speaking evil of everyone. We were the ones who were not self-controlled. We were the ones who would quarrel all the time. We were the ones who were never ready to do good work. We were the ones who were never disobedient. We're reminded of that. We're reminded of the grace of God. Had it not been for the grace of God, we would be down that road as well. So Titus tells us and teaches us, this is how we're to live outside the four walls. We come, we're encouraged, and then we go out and we live for Christ. Spurgeon says this, he says, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. That was 150 years ago he said that. So we purify the church by purifying our lives. 
And then in verse 8, it tells us, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning them, have nothing to do with them. We take sin seriously. We protect the church. And then verse 14 says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good deeds so as to help cases of urgent needs and not be unfruitful. This is where we end. We end by being a fruitful church because we understand the grace of God. And this is the heartbeat of Redemption Hill. We're not a perfect church. If you're new and you're looking for a perfect church, I'm just going to tell you we're not perfect. We're not a perfect church. But we're striving to do everything we can to the glory of God. By God's grace, we've been called to this city to be a light. And it takes all of us. It takes all of us. And we need one another. And it comes through godly leadership, godly preaching, and godly discipleship. And out of that, then, we become the brightest lights we can be and the most effective tools for evangelism in this area. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder through the book of Titus that you have a blueprint for the church. We're not making this up. Thankfully, that would be a disaster. You've given us the blueprint. And we're just trying to follow what it says. We just want to be obedient to what the Word of God says. Lord, thank you for the encouragement that each one of these people are to me this morning. Their desire to know church, know, know the truth, their desire to be a part of this church. The way they encourage one another. Lord, so thankful. And I pray for your continued blessing upon us. Use us, Lord. We want to be used by you. We want our lives to mean something for the gospel. We want to look back on our life, and as Paul said, we want to be poured out as a drink offering to you where we are spent for the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.